recorded live from the mats of Radical MMA in New York City, the Martial Culture Podcast. Your source for in-depth combat sports and martial arts insights with Coach Renee Dreyfus and Matt Peters. Ring the bell and let's get it on. We're back again. Uh, Martial Culture Podcast. Renee's back in the studio. Welcome, Renee. Hey, buddy. We missed you. I missed you guys last week. Uh, I was taken away uh, to corner one of my fighters in an MMA fight in Massachusetts, so unfortunately I uh, had to step out, but I heard it was a very good podcast. I have not listened to it yet. I heard that the fight went well, too. It went really well. Um, my student, G, uh, trained very, very hard, and uh, we came out with the W. His opponent was really, really scrappy and very, very strong and really great athlete and uh, a wonderful guy. I'm sure he'll be back, and, and he'll, he'll do fine. Uh, they went to war, and... Um, you know, we were able to use our wrestling, our judo, and our jiu-jitsu to take away his power and his striking. And that's uh, kind of like something I want to talk about uh, uh, today, you know, how the, the, the theory of the fight. And, and our theory of the fight was this guy who has the fastest uh, amateur um, knockout. Yeah, um, Joseph mentioned that. Yeah, in, in, um, in, a, in, a, in a amateur MMA. It's like a four-second knockout, and actually, it's even shorter because if you look at the video, they have to walk across the cage to each other. <laughs> so yeah. it takes two seconds to walk across the cage, and then so you really consider it like a two-second knockout. Right. So it's a very, very fast knockout, and he has two fights like that, very, very fast. So he has tremendous power. So we went back to old-school Gracie theory, which is keep tight, clinch. And uh, and don't let him put his fist on your face. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds and simple, it was, but yeah, it was it was it was very good. And you know, we Jilson, I'm sorry, Jilson, uh, G really didn't get hit at all. Nice. And we we uh, we just used the old school Gracie Jiu Jitsu theory, and we did integrate some striking too. Um, and uh, G's become a really talented striker too. And it's a long way to go. And I want to say thanks to. Uh, Professor Ken, who we had on the uh, podcast, he worked and uh, with um, G as well. So the striking looked really, really sharp. Nice. Couldn't do it without anything without Professor Ken. He's 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 amazing. And yeah, we need to get him back in the studio. Yes, <laughs> Professor Ken, if you're lin- listening, come back. <laughs> Could baby come back? Uh, I, I didn't know you 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 sing so well. I don't sing well. Um, I, that's better than me. We should go do karaoke for some time. Let's do it, yeah. yeah. Torture uh, our wives. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been kind of out of touch with the, the UFC fights, but you, you uh, came in guns a-blazing talking about UFC. Uh, so there's some good ones yesterday and, and some good ones last yeah, week. Yeah, you know, Fabricio Verdum had a, had a fight, and he's a, he's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu uh, guy, but obviously he's, he's evolved to a mixed martial artist. And uh, he did have trouble. He was fighting... Um, Oh, I forgot the guy's name. This Polish guy, Mart. Mart I can't pronounce his name. Mar Martin Hersk. Let me look it up. You know, this is I, his last name. He's, he's a Polish uh, a striker at Tibura. Mark Marcus Tibur, Tibur. Anyway, Mart Martin Mart something like that. <laughs> Sorry, I'll get his name right. Anyway, anyway, uh, Marcin Marcin Tibur. Tibura Tibur. And so it was quite a quite a brawl. Uh, uh, Tibur had very heavy hips. So it it it's it's. And Fabrizio Verdum has never been the best takedown artist, and um, which which some sometimes Brazilian jiu-jitsu guys struggle with. So he had trouble taking him down, but he did not have trouble punching him in the face, and he really dominated every single element of the striking. And I have to give credit to the Polish fighter; he really took a lot of shots, and especially knees from the tie clinch. And um, 
but he wouldn't go down. He was uh, really, really tough. Towards the end of the fight, he started having a little bit of a resurgence because obviously Verdum had been beating him, really expending a lot of energy mm-hmm. through the fight. So he kind of tired towards the end. And Tibor Marson, the Polish fighter, was making a comeback. But Verdum took the decision. And you could see that he was really... Really uh, evolved into a, into a striking a striker too. It's really really well. So it's nice to see Verdum really um, embracing his striking. But I think it's it's dangerous because uh, if you look at the champions who have held their MMA titles for the longest time, they have extremely extremely uh, uh, a good wrestling. And by wrestling, I don't mean ground wrestling. I mean uh, clinch and takedown work. Mm-hmm. Daniel Cormier and John Jones, who kind of exchanged the title back and forth due to things that have nothing to do with the fight, PED testing. But they're both extremely good wrestlers. Um, TJ Dillashaw and Cody Garbrandt both come from a very strong wrestling background. Mm-hmm. And the team Alpha Male, which obviously T. Dillashaw worked, was in part, it has puts a premium on becoming a great offensive wrestler. I mean, every single person out of that camp. Then look at... Um, Look at almost any champion. Conor McGregor is kind of like the the you know the the dark horse of this, but he actually has very good defensive wrestling. Generally speaking, when he got tapped out by Diaz, uh, uh, Nick Diaz, Nate Diaz, uh, he actually took Nate Diaz down. Mm-hmm. So Nate Diaz did not take him down. He took him down, hmm. and then he he went into Diaz's guard, which is like going into the spider lair, you know, spider web. That was not so smart. But uh, in the second fight. Diaz could not take him down at all. And, of course, that's why he was able to to dominate him in striking, which is where he's good. Uh, look at Tyron Woodley, who's not a very exciting fighter, but he's held that title for quite some time now. And George St. Pierre, uh, all of these champions um, who've held the title for a long time uh, have great wrestling, and most of them are from a wrestling background. Mm-hmm. George St. Pierre has great wrestling, but he's not from a wrestling background. But look at Bisping. And Bisping I have a tremendous amount of respect for. But strikers who can't wrestle generally don't hold the title for very long. And um, and I can't wait to see Conor McGregor lose. Oh, did I say that? <laughs> <laughs> who's who's going to beat him? Uh, well, he's got, he's got a whole line of people coming up. Uh, if he fights, I, I have no idea. You know, uh, If he fights Khabib, I think Conor McGregor will lose. Mm-hmm. If he fights Ferguson, Ferguson takes too many chances. Now, Ferguson, you know, I still think he's a good striker. I mean, he obviously can't beat that level and not be a good striker, but he's a much better grappler. And this is brings me back to Verdum and all these guys is that sometimes you get in in love with your knockout power and you forget that your bread and butter is grappling. Mm-hmm. Or as you see in MMA, as MMA is evolving in this way, um, you just basically defensive wrestle because offensive wrestling can take a lot of energy. If you start shooting for those takedowns and you don't get them, don't get them. As we saw with Damian Maya, you shoot for those takedowns over and over and then suddenly you're exhausted. So to to have that offensive strategy, um, it's very important that you have you're in good shape. Mm-hmm. And while everybody talks about Ronda Rousey now negatively and that she wasn't you know so great and blah blah blah, um, Ronda Rousey, if she grabbed you, she could put you on your back. And she was using offensive judo very very well, but she missed something critical that the Gracies have to teach. And that's kind of what I want to talk about today. And, and that's how to understand distance management when when punches are flying at you. And to clinch or shoot, and wrestlers, 
especially freestyle wrestlers, are very good at that. They're very good at, even though their art does not talk about distance management in terms of punching, you know, shooting underneath someone's hips and taking a, ta- a double when the guy doesn't want you to take that double leg takedown, that is all about angles and distance management, which is why wrestlers are really good at getting under people's punches and, and clinching it. Mm-hmm. John Jones is, he obviously has reach and he likes to strike, but when John Jones wants to clinch with you, he's going to clinch with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the same thing with, um, with any of the, you know, Uriah Faber is one of my favorite guys to watch, Team Alpha Male Captain. You know, when he wants to clinch with you, he's going to clinch with you. Uh, the jiu-jitsu guys who I really respect, um, some of them have great takedowns, some of them don't, unfortunately. Damian Maya still needs some work. His takedowns are fantastic, way better than mine, but he does make a mistake, as we were talking about before. He doesn't get his hips in enough, so he gets countered by higher-level wrestlers. And You look at someone like George St. Pierre, who never wrestled, but took a huge amount of time to become a, a great MMA wrestler, and he's a jiu-jitsu guy. I mean, obviously, he did karate before but you know you really when you have a tattoo on your chest that says jiu-jitsu probably should be thinking <laughs> you know yeah yeah he's really dedicated himself to jiu-jitsu the man has that jiu-jitsu gracie jiu-jitsu distance management skill that is amazing and when he wants to take you down as you saw at bisping he's like i'm gonna take you down now okay we're going down now we're down you know <laughs> i mean he has a tremendous takedown percentage right. it's unbelievable and um same with Khabib, who's not a jiu-jitsu guy, but he's a, he's a wrestler, a sambist, but he fights like a wrestler. But, you know, his back sambo is fantastic. Uh, just saying his, his game is very wrestling-based and very Greco-based, but he mm-hmm. clinches. And you can't, the thing is, he not only does he take you down, but he holds you down and punches you with the best wrist and body control I've ever seen in MMA. Unbelievable! I remember seeing those uh, Gracie videos, the, the Gracie, Gracie program or whatever yeah. in the nineties. The Gracie in action when they beat all comers. I, no, it was like a training video. Like, oh, you know, the, like the, the, six the, minute ads or something. Yeah, where the 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 main point was just get on top of somebody as quick as possible, like take them to the ground. Um, Absolutely. So and and are you never seen Gracie in action? I haven't. Oh yeah. my god! I'm right can, can you can you I pull can. pull some up? Okay, so so there's uh, just just. Uh, we have a nice little thing here. So the Gracies came out before the UFC. They came out with these videos, which they would distribute in the 80s, late 80s, uh, and, and early 90s, you know, kind of before that, where they, because they had this open challenge, and that challenge started out in, um, hmm, I know they put it out there in, in Playboy magazine. They talked about it because there was a big interview with Horian Gracie in Playboy magazine, but they had it before that. They, I think they put the first one in Black Belt magazine. But this is a challenge that went back since 1923. When or, or Elio Gracie, in 1925, actually, I believe it was Elio Gracie. Gracie yeah, yeah, right there. Gracie in action. One, two, any of this. Oh, these are so much fun. Um, yeah, the, the click two right there. That's great. And you're going to see, uh, uh, just, yeah, I can turn the sound off. And But anyway, the, the, their parents, the Gracie, uh, Jesus' parents, their, their, uh, Carlos and Elio put an ad in a newspaper in Rio. And, you know, they basically said, um, you know, if you if you think you can fight, come show up uh, uh, to our academy and get your ass kicked, or we'll pay you money. <laughs> if you can think you can, if you can, uh, 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 there you go. Yeah. So here's the uh, uh, we were watching a couple of Gracie ch- ch- in action challenges. These are all the people before the UFC. They came to the Gracie Academy, and they're different stylists. Uh, 
this guy we're watching right now, I believe is a Taekwondo guy, and they're Horian. This is Horian. He does an outside yeah, trip. I've seen that video before. Yeah, right, right. And there's like, yeah, like 10 of them. Get right? on top. Yeah, get on top. <laughs> you clinch and get on top. Now, now you know, we can, we can watch these videos. They're over and over again. They, there's tons of them where they got on top, they closed the distance, and distance management is everything. And, and in Japanese martial arts, this is called Mai. You know, Mai is a Japanese for distance, right? And it's it's a concept in in, in, in Japanese martial arts for sure, but um, I, I was I was saying this to some, one of my students. You know, Japanese traditional Japanese jujitsu or can talk about judo um, is based on a samurai tradition. We talked about this in another podcast mm-hmm. where you know a lot of what they did was based on okay, this is a um, you know battlefield martial art, so we're gonna. Um, do these things that work on a battlefield and you're wearing armor or swords or whatever. But, you know, also Japanese uh, traditional dress, traditional kimono, you know, Japanese dress is very, they're very layered and um, you have over the kimono, you have a thing called a haori very often, which is like an overcoat or something like that. And there's a lot to grab onto. And and the Japanese uh, traditional dress is not like a t-shirt. Like if I pulled on your t-shirt, Matt, you know, it would probably rip. You know, um, if I pull that Japanese kimono, it's not going to rip. So I can use that kimono to manipulate you and, and stop you from punching me. So if I grab your, your, you know, if you're wearing a pullover and I grab your pullover sleeve, that's going to compromise your ability to hit me. So we can clinch effectively like that. Mm. Um, but modern clothes are very different. Um, and you can see in the Japanese judo world or even in traditional jiu-jitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, traditional Japanese jiu-jitsu, people wear the gi. The gi is, you know, the uniform that simulates clothing. And that's great, but, you know, a gi is, is very, you know, made, a, made hard, you know, very firm material. I grab that gi, it's not going to rip. And the reason it's not going to rip is because you don't want to buy a gi and have it rip and then have to buy another one tomorrow. You know, it makes sense, right? Uh, however, more modern-day clothing uh, generally is not that thick unless you're wearing a winter jacket. And that's a criticism from a lot of nogi guys, like the 10th planet system. This is not realistic because, um, you know, clothing doesn't always work like that. And there's some truth to that, but the Gracie's understood that. And this brings us back to what is Gracie Jiu-Jitsu? What is Jiu-Jitsu? What's this evolution? How does it work? Blah, blah, blah. And I want to just stop and, and, and just segue a little away from uh, this exact thing that we're going to come back to what what's the answer to that question is is because i always get asked this i got asked this the other day and it's probably the 400th time i've been asked this i also was friends with this girl online and she's a traditional japanese martial artist and she's very very her her her, you know cause is to show that japanese jiu-jitsu and brazilian jiu-jitsu are the same thing and the gracies haven't haven't really invented anything and then suddenly uh, coincidentally i saw something posted on my facebook page where uh it was uh, old school grappling videos from from the i think it was the 30s where you see japanese ground fighters and generally called kosen judo kosen is means high school and judo is uh, obviously judo but these high school judo teams were seven seven high school judo teams that were focused on ground fighting and so you see them doing techniques that brazilian jiu-jitsu guys some of them didn't even come up into the 80s but you see 1930s and 40s he's doing these techniques so everybody's like look all these techniques existed before the graces are full of crap you know they didn't create anything there's nothing new under the sun Great jiu-jitsu is just another type of jiu-jitsu. There's nothing special. Blah, 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 blah. And that really does a disservice to the Gracies. And I have to, I have to admit here, I used to be one of those guys. 
So if you talk to me in 1993, 94, I'd say, well, the Gracies are really cool, but that's just judo. Mm -hmm. That's just judo. There's nothing different. I do that. I do that in the Kodokan because at that time I was living in Japan. The Kodokan, I just learned his technique in judo. There's no difference between the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu and this. And I believe that through all my heart for much of my life until I started training with Jiu-Jitsu guys. And I'm like, oh, it's different. I, I imagine <laughs> if I ask you what the difference is, that's a two-hour conversation. No, no, it's really not. It's really not. It's really okay. not. And that's what I want to talk about. Um, but, um, you know, so what's the difference? Yeah. Let's ask that. That's what I really want to talk about. So there's traditional Japanese jiu-jitsu, and that's not really one style. There's, you know, in the 98 Meiji period, there was 700 categorized styles of Japanese jiu-jitsu. So there's just so many. There's some that look like Aikido, some that look like Judo, some that look actually like uh, Karate or something, more punching, kicking. There's just tons, right? But... Um, we can kind of define them into certain, you know, different groups. And let's just talk about the ones that, you know, drew on the grappling traditions that are similar to judo or Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Basically, submissions and throws. Let's just focus on that, not Aikido type ones or whatever. This is, so what's the difference? What's the difference? Well, um, first, Kano, as we talked about in another podcast, studied a few forms of Japanese jiu-jitsu. And yeah, they were a little bit more classical. Like they're designed for different contexts, whether it's combat in 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 the battlefield, whether it's combat in um, you know against a guy trying to hold your sword, or like I said, they're wearing different clothing than we wear. So there's a certain historical you know lineage there. And also, what Kano did was he said, "Well, all these styles are pretty good. There's some good stuff here, but let's. What are we really trying to do?" And he was a great organizer. And he said, the real thing we're trying to do is be efficient. And we talked about that in the podcast, maximum efficiency. So he said, that's what they're trying to do here. So let's be efficient. And he really said, hmm, this technique from this style, hmm, that's pretty good. I'm going to take that. This technique from that style, that's not as efficient as this one. So you know what? We're going to throw that one away and we're going to take this one. Mm -hmm. So he really was like best practices. So he, he took what was good. He also created an environment where people could expand and develop and he could, they could, they could improve upon what already existed. So he was the gardener. He set up the garden, planted the seeds and said, this is what our goal is. Our goal is maximum efficiency. So let's grow. So some of these Japanese jiu-jitsu styles, you know, some, they had some good moves, but some moves sucked. And I can, I can say that I study Japanese jiu-jitsu and I, I've seen some moves and I'm like, you know, that move, that's kind of crappy. You know, like, I don't know, it's not, you know, it's not efficient. You know, you got to be kind of a little bit stronger. Or, you know what, it's contextually not what we want to do. So, you know, you don't see a lot of the judo guys really going onto the sword defenses. I mean, they have one kata where they talk about that a little bit. But no judo guy is really con concerned about somebody pulling a samurai sword. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of like, let's take it in the modern world. So here's that tra traditional Japanese jiu-jitsu. Then we did, the, we did the judo, which is the best practices, more efficient. Let's focus on this. Put it together as a system. And then you had this guy named Maeda. And Maeda was a student of, of Kano's, but he was a student of, uh, uh, of all the teaching staff in, at that time, Yamashita, all those guys. And he definitely studied a lot of that Kosen ground fighting technique. And he traveled the world and taught the Gracies. But I'm reading this book right now, and it's called The Toughest Man Who Ever Lived. And it's an autobiography. It's the, the third autobiography, uh, uh, biography, I'm sorry, third biography of Maeda that I've read. I've read two in Japanese, and this one is an English translation. And, you know, a lot of what's said about Maeda is incorrect. 
uh, especially by the Gracies too, because the Gracies didn't really speak Japanese and they didn't know him for very long. That's actually misunderstood is they didn't really know him for, they weren't with him for 20 years or anything like that. They sort of for a few years under him, but he was a very good teacher and they adapted what he, they took what he taught them and then they took it in another direction. And again, you know, he made some distinct improvements on judo. And what I mean by that is because he wasn't doing judo anymore. So people don't realize that the the path that we come to today with MMA and all that started right here in New York. Hmm. So MMA's roots are in New York City and New York State. And what do I mean by that? It's kind of a real interesting story. So Maida was sent to America as an ambassador of judo. That's first how he went. He was a young kid. And he did not study anything other than than judo. People people talk about that he studied traditional jujitsu. There's absolutely no record of him studying anything other than judo. And as a kid, he was a sumo champion. And that's that's very cultural in Japan. I, we talked about another uh, podcast where you know in villages like Yotomachi, the same thing. There are these kids sumo championships. So he was very good at sumo. Mm-hmm. And then he went to Japan, Tokyo, learned judo, and then Kano's like, "Oh, you're amazing. We're going to send you off." as an ambassador of the art to spread the art. And he landed here in New York, did a very, very famous demonstration uh, in front of the president, and then at West Point. The one at West Point was not as successful because um, they put him as in a fight against a wrestler. And he didn't realize that wrestling, if you put your shoulders on the floor, you lose. Oh. So he armbarred the wrestler from guard. But they're like, oh, but he was on his back. He's like, I don't care about my back. Dude, I just armbarred him. <laughs> but there was a disconnect because, you know, mm-hmm. Westerners hadn't really seen as much submission fighting. And then the older gentleman he tra- traveled with, Yamashita, um, it was Yamashita, right? No, it was, uh, hmm, one of the older instructors he was with, traveling with, um, did another match with the wrestler and he was old and injured and he actually wound, wound up losing. So the, the West Pointer was like, ah, this is judo, it's a little crap. Hmm. So it wasn't so successful, but he, he, he was starting to spread the art and he opened up a school here in New York City. And he didn't speak English and he was a very demanding teacher. And also you're talking about a time where there wasn't a lot of respect given to martial arts of Asia. We're talking, you know, 19, 1910 or something like that. I don't really know the exact date. And his school went under financially. Hmm. He couldn't eat. So somebody said, Hey, you're a fighter. They have these saloon matches. And he's like, hmm, I'm not really supposed to do that because Kano wanted judo to be pure and, you know, wonderful and not like combative. He's like, let's put the old martial arts, like I'm going to kill you in the street away and let's use this as a path to develop ourselves. So he made street fighting. If you're a black belt in, in, in judo and you do a street fight, you get your belt revoked and you get kicked out and it's not good unless it's pure self-defense you know you're picking fights in the street it's no good mm-hmm. and also if you do an MMA match and they didn't call them MMA back then they called it Tadujiai which means mixed style fight meaning you're a karate guy I've, you were a judo guy let's fight you know like the old UFC mm-hmm. Tadujiai mixed style fight or NHB whatever you want to call it. but he knew he wasn't supposed to do it and everybody asks why did Maeda who did judo teach the graces that he did jujitsu because he said, if I use the word judo, I will besmirch judo. Because judo, they don't want to do MMA. And that's true today. 
even today, the, the Japanese judo organizations are a little bit open, more open, but the French judo organization is very, very anti-MMA. So they really carried that, like, yeah. you know, that thing away that MMA is dirty, it's not good. So Maeda said, I'm not going to use the word judo. I'm going to use the old word, jujitsu. And this also is why, you know, Matt, you and I had a little discussion why jujitsu is spelled J-I-U-J-I-T-S-U versus J-U-J-U-T-S-U. Jujutsu versus Jiu-Jitsu, right? Mm -hmm. And that has to do that when people back then were learning Japanese, they would take the Japanese characters and anglify it. And the way they anglified it in the 1920, 1905, 1910 was Jiu-Jitsu. That's the way they did it. They change it these days and it becomes Jiu-Jitsu, which is a little bit closer to the Japanese principle. But it doesn't really matter. But that's why Grace Jiu-Jitsu spells it the way it does. So Maeda said, I do Jiu-Jitsu. He just wrote it way he was taught to anglify mm -hmm. Japanese. And he went to this fight and he fought in New York against a New York State wrestler, catch wrestler, called the Butcher Boy. <laughs> yeah. And oh. he was a catch wrestler and might have beat the snot out of him. He just crushed him. And he made a lot of money. Oh. And he's like, this is awesome. I can make money killing people. <laughs> Not killing people. And that's really how it started. And then he went down to Georgia Atlanta, he fought in Atlanta, he went down to Cuba, had a big career in Cuba, went to Spain, went to England, and he was fighting mostly catch wrestlers, which are wrestlers who do submissions. And he beat them. He beat so many of them. But then, this is where it changed. Then in England, he fought a boxer. And Midas is a pretty tough guy. But that boxer clocked him so freaking hard. And he realized, because they're not wearing a kimono, they're not wearing a jacket, he's like, wow, my ability to clinch is very, very poor. And so let me see how I can adapt my judo and get out of that punch. And this is, you saw what Grace is just now, Gracie in action. Get close the distance, control the distance, get into the guy tight, clinch really tight. Mm -hmm. So he can't punch me and then take him down. Then I can use my judo. But on the outside, I'm eating those jabs. I'm eating those crosses. And, you know, um, if I can come in, if I can clinch in, I can take the guy down. I can submit him. If I can't clinch him, what am I going to do? So one thing he did was he developed clinching strategies. And also, he started adding more strikes in. Because the traditional Japanese martial arts, a lot of them come from, like I said, battlefield context. There was not a lot of mixing of western style boxing or those kind of strikes they had some what was called atemi where they would clothesline you or palm strike you but it's hard to punch a guy effectively when he's wearing a helmet mm. you know a metal yeah, helmet sure. so you know that wasn't something that was developed in the samurai arts like like western boxing um one of the 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 results of the western western being pa pacified meaning people don't walk around with swords and armor means that striking gets better and so that's why Western boxing is really good because our society got rid of swords a little earlier than the Japanese did. Mm -hmm. And so they started, hey, I can't walk around with swords. So I'm going to learn how to punch someone. Mm -hmm. So he started integrating punching and, and little low kicks like John Jones does. Even today, John Jones is that skipping low side kick. Mm -hmm. That's pure Maeda right there. And he taught at the Gracies and he developed a system of clinching with strikes to close the distance. And that's something that did not exist in Japanese jiu-jitsu before that. Or if it did, it was not popularized. It wasn't something you had to worry about. You could clinch easier because people were in either kimono or you were in armor, so you didn't have to worry about punches. So one of the things that really evolved, and the Gracies took that, evolved it more, is how to clinch with the guy, 
how to really get in there and take him down and and Clinton not get hit. And uh, I, I, I hope all of you guys can, can get a chance. It's on YouTube. But Hicks and Gracie has a seminar that he did. Oh God, it's got to be 20-something years ago. It was in the 90s. And it's on YouTube. Just write Hicks and Gracie seminar. Hopefully it'll come up. And it's like an hour of him teaching. And everybody's like, oh, jiu-jitsu's fighting on the ground, blah, blah, blah. People don't realize that Ellie Gracie and Hicks and all these guys, they would not start you on the ground. They would start you. The most important thing is how not to get hit, which is something that sports jiu-jitsu is sort of lost these days. You know, they, they kind of go away from it. But but how not to get hit. And there's an hour of Hicks and doing a seminar, an entire seminar on how to slip punches, how to not get hit, how to clinch. And if you see his fights, Hickson is a master clincher. He he's as good as anyone else because he clinches with one guy Yamamoto a long time ago. Fought Yamamoto grabbed the ropes and he hits him so many times from the clinch. Never eats any punishment. Close the distance. Clinch, clinch, clinch. Finally, Yamamoto lets go of the ropes and he takes him down and submits him. But he won that fight in the clinch, and that's pure Gracie Jiu Jitsu right there. That's not something that you really saw the the melding of striking and throwing at a, a complex level. Yeah, those techniques exist, but the complex theory of how to clinch, how to take the guy down and dominate him positionally, that's the first start difference of what jiu-jitsu is, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, from judo. And judo was different from traditional jiu-jitsu that it really focused on cleaning up the efficiencies. Then Brazilian jiu-jitsu took that and said, okay, how do we integrate, how do we fight boxers? How do we fight guys who can really strike and we don't, can't grab the kimono? We can't grab the, 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 the armor. How do we make this more modern? And that's it. It's not about new techniques. It's about new spins on techniques. So clinching, anybody can clinch. A boxer can clinch. But how do you clinch effectively when the guy doesn't want to clinch with you? Mm-hmm. How, do you, how, do you how do you do that? So that's one difference. The next difference, and this is like I said, this is like, okay, all these guys fighting on the ground, they all do the same thing. The Gracie's asked a simple question. On the ground, one-on-one, what is the most dominant position? And the answer was the back and the back mount. So if you look at any any fight that any of the Gracie's are in the Gracie in action, majority of the submissions are rear naked choke. There's a majority, mass majority of rear naked choke or a submission from the back. Or a submission of a consequence of the person defending the, the, the back. So if I get on your back and I'm a human backpack, <laughs> you can't hurt me. If I'm behind you, Matt, how can you hurt me? This is a very simple thing that did not, does not really come across from judo guys or jiu-jitsu guys. Now, yeah, did the judo guys ever take a guy's back? Sure. Did the jiu-jitsu guy do it? I'm sure. But systematically thinking about how do I strategically dominate you from the back is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu way of thinking. And... um we we talked about that uh, you know the mighty mouse uh, uh, submission you know recently that was not was more like a transitional submission and you know jiu-jitsu is all about real estate control 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 work your way up be an anaconda and take the guys back and that is not how judo guys fight which is why and all these people who say that judo is the same as jiu-jitsu well then why was it the Gracies who won in the nineties and not anyone else you know the the judo guys weren't ready for MMA. And they weren't ready until they started cross-training and training like the Gracies did. Gracies trained like MMA. Mm-hmm. Which brings me to the point is like now jiu-jitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, while it has those efficiencies and positional dominance and things like that, it lost its fighting heart. There are very few sports jiu-jitsu guys 
that know how to clinch like the Gracies did. So if you said, what's the difference between Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu today and Gracie Jiu-Jitsu 20 years is, to me, personally, it's a de-evolution of fighting reality. And Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, sport Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, kind of looks like like judo, although obviously the, the back-taking and things like that is, is more refined. But in terms of understanding how to clinch with the guy who wants to punch you or stab you or something like that, they don't really have that knowledge. But that's a really integral part of what made Gracie Jiu-Jitsu Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. Clinching, clinching, and controlling the distance. Mm. And that is something that the Japanese tradition it might have had a little, but it didn't have a scientific and efficient approach. This is what you do. Do this, 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 and this. This is how you control the distance. This is how you clinch. And this is how you make sure you don't get hit. And um, and that is the difference between, if you look at ju- traditional jiu-jitsu, judo, and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Efficiency was the transition from traditional to judo. And then Adapting that judo to a boxer, to, to, to these Western fighters, and using cl- higher level clinching, that's one element, and focusing on positional dominance, and, and using, whether it's the guard too, because guard was all about clinching, not getting hit, not getting hit, tire the guy out, and boom, go and take his back and kill him. So that's really that evolution of what the, the things, things are. And you can see it yesterday, Verdum, who does come from a sport background, had trouble clinching and finishing the takedown. So what was his answer? His answer was, well, I'm going to be a great tie fighter. <laughs> Knee him in the face. Not a bad answer. But I would like to see people like Damian Maya go back to that old school Gracie you know, clinching. Now, that being said, the Gracies had to improve their wrestling. And some of the newer generation kids really have great wrestling. Because back then, they had good judo takedowns. But it wasn't until the 80s where they, 70s and 80s where they really started integrating like wrestling takedowns. But the one thing I like about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is every Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu teacher who I've ever met who was really good was a thief. He was a complete, utter thief. <laughs> Meaning, hey, that technique from karate, that's pretty good. I'm going to steal that. Right. Oh, that technique from judo, I'm pretty good. I'm going to steal that. And we make it part of our art. And I've done that. You know, uh, my rack guard. That's the thing I'm known for. It's kind of thing. But it's based on an old judo position that I took, evolved, changed, and adapted and made a system of blocking the punches. And my inspiration has always been the old school Gracie thing. And it's helped me evolve to block punches in a, in a different way. And the same with Eddie Bravo, who, um, you know, just had his combat jujitsu, uh, match recently last week and was amazing. Unbelievable. And that's absolutely fantastic. Uh, and it's going back, bringing jiu-jitsu back. Okay, how do we control the distance, whether it's on the ground or standing? How do we not get hit? And uh, he came up with this rubber guard system, and uh, it's it's fantastic. So, you know, not getting hit in the grappling context, not something that focused, focused the jiu-jitsu guys, traditional jiu-jitsu, Japanese jiu-jitsu focused on because they were wearing armor, mm-hmm. or it was easier to block because you were wearing the kimono. Hmm. And in judo, they made they they took those techniques. They made them more efficient. But it took the Gracies to really think of strategically. Let's take this to the 20th century. Same technique, just adjusted. So yeah, you could look at guys in the 30s and say they were doing the same technique that uh, Delahiva was doing now, or you know, yeah. But they do it strategically differently, hmm. and that's the difference. And uh, it's not the technique itself; it's how you think about it. 
Interesting. Yeah, so that's 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 the evolution. It wasn't too long, was it? <laughs> <laughs> no nice readers digest. Yeah, but but that. but yeah, but it has to. They're not the same. Like yeah. right, Matt, if I if I taught you how to jab, how long do you think it take you to learn how to jab? Eh, about an hour, maybe twenty minutes. Sure. Yeah, but can you jab as well as Roy Jones Jr.? No. <laughs> No. no, no, but it's not because your jab is that much worse or better. His is that much better. It's because he knows how to strategically use it. Mm-hmm. His feet will be in different places. His head will be in different places. His angle, his use of that jab is different. Mm-hmm. But the actual movement of your arm extending out and in is pretty much the same. Just sticking your arm out. But how you use it, how you think about it, how you strategically put it together, that's the difference. Mm-hmm. And jiu-jitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, thinks strategically very different from judo uh, because it's, it's just different. And, and, and if you want to control a person and be efficient, it, it is more efficient huh. in, the, in the grappling. It's interesting that there's much so many layers to martial arts and, and even just jiu-jitsu. There's so, yeah, many, so, so, many, layers. so many layers, yeah. the evolution of, of, of jiu-jitsu over the years. Yeah. Uh, speak multiple layers how many gracies are there every time i turn around there's like five more they're breeding like rabbits well you know what it's it's a funny thing is i haven't met so many gracies i've met a few um and i've only had very positive experience with the gracie family Mm -hmm. but like every family it's a huge family and it's a huge family so they're two brothers elio and carlos and those those two brothers had a lot of kids and the the gracie family is basically divided into three sections there's the elio side which, um, if you know Hoyce, Hoyce is a son of Elio, Hickson is a son of Elio, uh, Hoyler is a son of Elio, and these guys are a little bit more like, used to be, not so much now, it depends who you train with, but used to be very self-defense oriented. Like I said, you wouldn't go to the ground right away. If you took a lesson with Elio, I, I was told that in the beginning, you'd do only privates with you for a long, long time, and you'd only learn standing self-defense for a long time before you even hit the ground. So jiu-jitsu wasn't ground fighting, it was like self-defense on his side. Then there's the other side, the Carlson side. Carlson Gracie was a son of, of, of Carlos. And he and Elio ran an academy together, but they had a falling out. And Carlos said, ah, oh, this old man, you know, it's closed-minded. And <laughs> I can't stand him. So he went off and did his own thing. And the Carlson guys are very known for their aggression. And they were the first Gracies to really integrate Western boxing, like really technical Western boxing into their training regimen. So if you look at Murilo Bustamante, you look at Mario Sperry, you look at Rodrigo Noguera, who's still fighting in the UFC, any of these guys from the Carlson side, almost always they were great boxers, great boxers. Because he's like, hey, that will help our clinch. If you are really afraid of me punching you in the face, it's going to be easier for me to clinch on you. Right. And... Um, so they were more Valley Tudo or MMA oriented. That school was very, very aggressive. They were a little bit more into conditioning too. They're known as like a little bit more top game crush fighters. And I love the Carlson Gracie game. It's not putting them down. Those guys are in your face aggressive. Mm-hmm. And I think I told you the Elio side, you know, Elio is very, you know, what I call the Fabian strategy. Talk about this another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, like he'll wait till you get tired. Right. And cause Elio was, you know, 125 pounds. Carlson, uh, was a, was a very physical guy and he could, he could make you make a mistake. And, um, in the middle was this, uh, son who he, another son, he was Carlos's son, but he was raised by Elio. So he's kind of like, uh, you know, a bridge, right. and his name was Holes, and he's basically considered to be one of the best Gracies, if not the best Gracie to ever live. Unfortunately, oh. died in a, air, oh. uh, a hang gliding accident. 
he he was a, a risk taker. He was a he was a really um, amazing person mm-hmm. and full of life. And anybody I've ever talked to who who had some dealings with him uh, said that he was just an amazing human being. Uh, and he really brought in wrestling and this and that. They competed in sambo, competed all these different martial arts. And um, just a, just a free thinker, and he had the best of kind of both sides. So he was the bridge between the family, and so you can divide the th- the family into these three sides: the Carlson side, the Elio side, and then the whole side, which is now Gracie Baja. And uh, and people kind of divide in those three lines, and where the family. But the family is really, really, really big. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I don't really know what's going on, but I know there was a lot of interfamily rivalry. Especially, they were very angry at Horian, who's the person who created the UFC, because he he trademarked the term Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. And he felt that if you were not teaching like his daddy, by his words, Elio, you were not doing really good Jiu-Jitsu. So there's a big family, and they're like, wait a minute, we're Gracie's too. Why can't we use the trademark? And he's like, I got the trademark. You can't use it. (laughs) He really made them angry. And some people felt that was a, a push for money. Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. I think he was just we're looking for quality control and also a little bit of control of the growth of the art. And the time has kind of proved him right because his idea was to make a fighting and self-defense form app- available to Americans. But what happened was, if you look at right now, it's purely sport jiu-jitsu. You go to any Brazilian jiu-jitsu club, they will start you out in a way that Elio would not be happy with. Mm-hmm. So... Um, that's not to say it's bad. It's just that was not. Elio said, "Sport jiu-jitsu rules are ruining my art." That's what he said, and his idea was, "Let's survive a street fight. Let's be self-defense." And I think as jiu-jitsu guys, we're coming back to that. Especially, we see the limitations of the sport approach in MMA, and that's why I'm so excited. You know, we talked about it many times in the podcast, but great the combat jiu-jitsu. Right. And how it kind of brings back mm-hmm. the old feeling of, you know, gritty. It was, the Kamajutsu was so great. And did you get a chance to see how, how the Kamajutsu, the finals were won? The Eddie Bravo? Eddie Bravo thing. Did you no, get a chance? I didn't okay. See the end, no. So it was amazing. So first of all, if you look at sports today, everybody's doing leg locks. Leg lock, right. leg lock, leg lock. Oh, we love leg locks. And that's not too bad. I'm a leg locker myself. Love leg locks. But the, the, it's not like, you should be 90% leg locks. Ellie always said that. He's like, you know, leg locks are fine. And you want to say Ellie didn't, you know, he was not against leg locks, but he's like, leg locks keep, make you more open to punches in the face if you mess them up. Mm-hmm. So let's focus on upper body control and upper body submissions. So that doesn't mean they didn't do leg locks. There's a book, Eddie, uh, Elio has a, a book of his and you can see like 20 pages of him doing leg locks. <laughs> but, but he said, let's focus on the upper body control because it's safer, less risk, more risk, less risk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but you see in the sport grappling world, it's like leg locks, leg locks. But then Eddie Bravo, when he put the combat jiu-jitsu, people were slapping each other. There were some leg locks, but they're much less. And you see, oh God, I can't do this move. I can't do that move because I'm getting punched in the face. And you saw, the the final the final was won by Wagner Hosha, who's an MMA fighter, but he's all jujitsu guy. But he got to the mount and he actually won by TKO because he was slapping his guy in the face so much <laughs> the ref had to stop it. Oh, and because it just showed that the, the guy's instincts on the bottom, who's the guy who's fighting was very good. I don't want to say anything bad about him, but he was doing things that were not good for self defense mm-hmm. and for fighting. And combat jujitsu is amazing. 
And I can't wait till we have like a more natural national movement. And I'm really hoping that I can be a part of that. Maybe, you know, set up a New York tournament, but a national movement where combat jiu-jitsu is as big as sports jiu-jitsu now, because then Elio is going to go back and say, Hey, those rules, those rules respect what I'm trying to do. That's my art right there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, you're going to have to have the clinch. Now, when I mean the clinch, I mean not just standing, but on the ground. You're going to have to clinch. You're going to have to make distance, control the distance and go back to all that revolutions. Evolutions that Maida made, and then the evolution that Elio and his brother in- increased as well, that we've eh, kind of forgotten. Mm-hmm. You know, still the positional control is jiu-jitsu, but they've forgotten the importance of clinching. Right. And so that's, that's, uh, that's kind of, you know, the evolution of what uh, jiu-jitsu is. And people always ask me, what's the difference between traditional jiu-jitsu, judo, and Brazilian jiu-jitsu? And I just want to take some time to answer that question and see how, you know, combat jiu-jitsu is really old-school Gracie jiu-jitsu format. Uh, and 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 the theories that the the Gracies came up with and yeah. the strategies really shine in there. Yeah, and uh, cool. the guys who use jiu jitsu effectively in MMA all kind of have that orientation. Mm-hmm. And you can see that um, uh, there's a few younger generation Gracies. One of them is, uh, um, oh, he's fighting in Bellator now. Um, I forgot his name. I talked about him in the podcast, but he's a younger younger Gracie. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it starts with an R. <laughs> I'm sure it does. Yeah, yeah. Um, shoot, I forgot his name, but he, he, he. Um, <laughs> Siri. Yeah, sorry. I Hi, tried Siri. to, tried to, tried to, but look it up. But he, uh, he clinches. Roger beautifully. Gracie, I think. No, no, Hoger, Hoger. <laughs> yeah, Hoger's, Hoger's one. There is a Hoger. Oh yeah, absolutely, Hoger Gracie. Um, he's, he's, he actually doesn't clinch so well, although he's a great fighter. Mm. I think we could spend an uh, entire podcast talking about yeah. each different. Yeah, yeah, Gracie, Gracie. right, right, right. We'll go through the Gracie. But it's a big family lineage. Yeah, big family, and and you know. Uh, they're everywhere, and parts of the family represent different things. Yeah. Celts fans, MMA, sports jiu-jitsu. Uh, but that's it. And that's, that's kind of my answer to that question. And because cool. everybody always asks me that, what's the difference? And I think we covered it, you know? Yeah. And it's an interesting topic. Uh, the evolution of grappling into the modern world. And yeah. the Gracies, did they create new techniques? Yeah, some, sometimes they did, but that's not really it. It's not about creating new techniques. It was about new strategies. And what makes Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and Gracie Jiu-Jitsu different are their strategies. And especially the Maeda, you know, Gracie, Elio Gracie thing is how they control the distance and clinch, which is something we sometimes forget when we take away punches. Um, so we kind of forgot who we were in, in the art. And that's something I never want to forget. You know, like always, always, always know how to control the distance. And there are strategies that the Gracies just were amazing at there's so many things that the, that that elio came up with mm-hmm. on that level not new techniques new strategies new ways to do it differently sure. so to all those people and that girl i told you who's traditional gracie didn't do anything you are wrong uh-huh. <laughs> you're yeah. wrong because you've never done jujitsu the minute you do jiu-jitsu with an old school practitioner right. you're going to realize oh this is different mm-hmm. and i had that experience so we learned a lot today the evolution of jujitsu throughout the generations all the way back to 1910 yeah. with uh maeda yes yes i pronounced yes. it right uh, i can't wait to see the lifetime movie of him like somebody better make a movie about this guy's life because the five minutes you told me about him he's fascinating i'm very interested in the name of the book that that you uh you're reading right now the toughest toughest man man to ever live nice um it's by um nori bunasawa check that out yeah there's a few japanese uh biographies as well but the nori bunasawa book i'll come back and we can talk about my head a little bit more i I would love to because he sounds unbelievable uh you know uh 
a larger than life character. Yeah, sounds interesting. All right. Um, so it was a quick one today. We learned a lot, though. We're going to learn a lot next time, I'm sure. Uh, maybe we'll get into Maeda. Um, yeah, we'll figure it out. We'll figure yeah. out what we're going to yeah. do. Thanks for listening, guys. This is Marshall Culture Podcast for Coach Renee and Matt Peters. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter at Marshall underscore culture and on Instagram at Marshall Culture Cast. Please leave a review on iTunes and we'll see you next time on the Marshall Culture Podcast.